0: You are listening to the Unusually Well-Informed Podcast. Welcome to the Unusually Well-Informed Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hampton. My unusually well-informed guest today is Ethan Butte. Ethan is a marketing strategist with a focus on messaging and branding. He is a best-selling author and podcast host and the chief evangelist at BombBomb a service that makes it easy to record, send, and track personalized videos. Today, Ethan and I are discussing the themes in his first book titled Rehumanize Your Business, co-authored with Stephen Passanelli. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invite, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. It's my pleasure. So, Ethan, in your book, Rehumanize Your Business, you argue that to attract people in support of our goals, we should aim to be known, liked, and trusted. Why is video so important to this?
1: So we've created so much distance with the digital channels that we've come to rely on. There's so many benefits to them, of course. Uh, A lot of it is around speed and efficiency. But what's lost in so much of it is that we've removed the messenger from the message, (laughs) right? We don't attach to concepts nearly as well as we attach to people. And very often we attach concepts to people, right? Um, So... When we remove ourselves from the majority of our day-to-day communication, especially um, you know this book was written pre-pandemic, uh, but certainly the the pandemic enhanced it because we were seeing each other even less, um, or at least seeing each other in a much flatter way, and so. Um, Obviously, no like, and trust is built through exposure. It's built through familiarity. It's built through predictability and consistency, integrity between word and deed and all these other things. Uh, But so much of it is built in um, face, voice, personality, expertise, enthusiasm, sincerity, gratitude, nuance, subtlety, all those things that we do naturally when we talk to each other that are absolutely stripped out or at best. Um, significantly muted or dampened when we go to digital and virtual and online channels.
0: I agree. And we were just talking a little bit before we began the show. This is actually the first time we've met synchronously, as we were talking about, but I felt like I knew you already thanks to the messages that we had, we had exchanged, particularly your messages to me, where it were, they were video, they were content and personalized. So I did appreciate that. It definitely warmed things up. Yeah, it really does. You just like... Y- And so much of it
1: is subconscious, right? You just, as soon as you see me on screen and as soon as I saw you, because you sent me video messages back, it's like, oh, hey, it's Tim, right? (laughs) We've never like met, met. We've swapped some emails before, but if those emails hadn't contained videos, we would have not been in as warm, a quick and um, motion-based posture uh, upon initially meeting because we would have had to go through, you know, what I call the how's the weather questions, right? Just kind of the (laughs) basic, like, what do we have here? What's going on? How are I we notice doing? it's
0: sunny there. Good for you.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's sunny here often. I'm in Colorado
0: Springs. Very nice. Um, so let's talk about the book a little bit. How did business become dehumanized?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back, um, and this is a theme that we didn't take on directly in the book itself, although we have already touched on an, a consequence of it, um, which is you know faceless typed out text, faceless digital communication becoming the norm over the past two to three decades, um, and us increasingly entrusting our most important and valuable messages to faceless digital communication. But I think a lot of it goes back to um, the onset of the Industrial Revolution right? We're only 200 years out of its onset. Uh, We're only, we're not even a hundred years really out of uh, Henry Ford's assembly line. Um, And and in this, in this window, um, you know, let's just look at those hundred years between the onset of the industrial revolution and the, and the establishment of the assembly line. The people and the machines And the way that they began to work together, and the way that humans were used in that process, and the fact that they were cranking out uniform, homogenous products for interchangeable consumers with interchangeable parts and interchangeable laborers. Like, they're just so the mechanics of all of that. It's really difficult to underestimate, but it's also very difficult to observe directly the consequences of the fact that we're only a few generations removed from the onset of these things. Um, and so when we think about the way that we do work, the way we think about work, the way we even structure our day, I mean, the 40-hour work week is a is a Henry Ford era thing, right? Um, right. And it was, you know, a lot of paperwork. And so, you know when we start to confuse the fact that this work is really all for and about people, like what are we creating and delivering value for? Like, why have we created these companies, these organizations? Why have we built these teams? Why have we structured these departments? Why have we designed these systems and processes? If the answer is revenue, which at some level it is, then I think we're selling short, especially we're losing sight now of, where we've gone as an economy, um, ultimately our own goals are about revenue at some level, but really revenue is a consequence. Revenue is a consequence of the creation and delivery of, of value or impact or benefit or success of other people. Um, but we've, we've really lost sight of that from time to time. And I think its roots are in kind of the extreme mechanization and a uniformity of everything. Um, and, it, you know, that's what we, can, the people that we were led and managed by early in our career were led and ma- managed by people who were even closer to it. And those people were led and managed by people who were even closer to it still, you know. And then a couple, you know, like links back and these were the people, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's, we're slow to change in a lot of different ways. And I think um, things become normalized in much quieter and creep and by creepy or i don't mean like creepy like there's someone peeking through my window i mean like like just this like slow Gradual. steady creep and all of a sudden it's normal yeah. it's normal that we don't look each other in the eye anymore we just type things
0: out well that's interesting um because you know the the second book uh is has inc- includes the term human centered right human centered communication right it's right there right there yeah. beautiful and human centeredness is a big topic these days. And I think it's, it's playing to the theme that you're bringing up, which is we've spent a hundred years figuring out how to fit the machines. And now we're saying we, the machines can fit us. And, you know, it used to be we would send a telegram and you'd be charged per the letter and you'd have to rethink grammar just to get it down the line. But now we can actually just the same way I'm talking to you with the ums and ahs, but the, the emotion involved, it doesn't cost anything anymore. You can do that with video now.
1: Yeah, and I really like that. Um, well, A, thank you for mentioning the newer book, um, Human Centered Communication. Just the relationship between those two, rehumanize your businesses. The what, why, who, when, and how of video email and video messaging. If you're wondering why this matters, how did it come to be? Who's doing it? When are they using it? Why are they using it? What are some of the you know technical considerations? Um, kind of the how components. It's all in there in human-centered communication, we go wider than video email and video messaging and really take on all of our digital communication um, because we're going to be doing a lot more of it in the future, not less. Um, And the subtitle of it is A Business Case Against Digital Pollution, which is the reason that, and I promise I'm coming around to your mention of the word emotion. Um, You know, the, the reason it's so important is that this industrialized approach to so much of our work has created a digital pollution that, um, you know, whereas environmental pollution, air, water, soil, you know, threatens our health, uh, physically, um, and, and in other ways too. I mean, it's certainly an emotional issue, psychological issue, spiritual issue too, but digital pollution in particular is even, um, Quieter and more subtle than environmental pollution. You look out the sky and say, oh my gosh, yeah, there are obviously wild flood, wildfires somewhere west of us because the winds have brought them here and I can barely see the sky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which happens to us from time to time now here in Colorado on the Front Range. And digital pollution, on the other hand, is like this kind of th- threat to trust. And it's easier. And where that pollution is intentional, by the way, phishing, malware, cyber attacks, et cetera, um, it's really easy to manipulate humans and manipulate human psychology because these digital, virtual, and online spaces are both visually and emotionally impoverished in terms of communication. hmm uh, and so this idea that, that we can reinfuse the emotional components, that we can demonstrate our intent, we can demonstrate our motivation. We can demonstrate that we actually believe what we're saying. we can demonstrate in a in a way that you can feel that there's something in this for you and that I have your best interest in mind, that I am aligned with you on this in a way that a, a non-video digital communication um, simply can't deliver that. And yet, that's what humans have evolved to need and want from each other before we can even consider saying, yes,
0: mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. I'll
1: return this phone call. Yes. I'll reply to this email. Yes. I'll click, click this link. Yes. I'll download that attachment. Yes. I'll make that personal int- introduction. All the yeses that we need to be successful, a precursor to the kind of rational cost benefit evaluation that every human also does is what is this person's intent Am I going to be taken advantage of? Does this person believe what they're saying? Do they seem to have my best interests in mind? So, when we add some video communication into the rest of what we're doing, we can restore all of the missing visual and emotional components that humans have evolved to need and want from one another. And so, um, in conclusion, <laughs> if we want people to say yes, we should make it very easy for them to do it, not just by you know positioning what's in it for them and that's certainly a great thing that a lot of people overlook somehow um but by doing it in video more often um it becomes much more clear and obvious that all the signs that point to yes actually point to yes
0: right well so this brings me to uh something you got into in some detail in the book and that is being on camera it's the act of being on camera So do you have any advice for people who struggle to show warmth and excitement on camera? I'm asking for a friend.
1: Okay. Uh, Yes, absolutely. So two things. I am of the mind that pretty much anyone working in a professional capacity can benefit from video email and video messages. And that's to say, whether it's three times a day or once a day or 10 times a day, depending on what's going on that day, that you consider, instead of getting intellectual, getting in your head and pecking the message out and hoping that people understand what you mean, that you can record a video. Right. Implied in that is that everyone and anyone can do this. So now that takes me to point two, which is that this is not about carrying a show. This isn't about a homepage video. This isn't about building an amazing YouTube channel. This isn't about sustaining an amazing, super engaging 35-minute Facebook live event or LinkedIn live event. This is about you connecting and communicating with another person in a more rich and human way. And so I would offer to people that if you are one of these kind of thoughtful, um, analytical perhaps quiet, perhaps subdued type of people, but you've had some degree of success in your career, <laughs> no matter how long, how deep that career is, that people have said yes to you. And it's an important part of why they said yes to various things, big and small, is because of who you are and the trust and rapport that you built with that person, the integrity between your word and your deed, the, the agreement between what you're saying and how you're saying it. And so if you're not a big personality who's enthusiastic like about everything and like over the top and this extroverted type of person, you might feel like oh this isn't for me, this is for other people. The answer is that's not true any more than picking up the phone or showing up for a meeting is for other people, not for you. Now, is cold prospecting by phone for everybody? No. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about if I'm going to type out a message in Slack or an email or in linkedin messaging might it be better if i shared this in a video instead of typing it out i think the answer for everybody is yes but we can get the, we can later get into or now get into um why that's so hard for everybody to get started even people with big personalities and extroverted um uh, tendencies
0: well sure let's get into that i mean i i would have assumed that this was something that some people really gravitate to but you you seem to be implying that it's a challenge for everyone. It's not just uh, uh, the introverts. I,
1: yeah. So, so you know, some people will immediately... So first, I'll start here. There is a vulnerability to doing this. We have been trained by ourselves and by other people and by what's normal in the status quo in business and culture that we can have absolute control over our digital expression. We can shoot five photos pick the best one and edit it and then post it. And if we will find a better one, we can just remove it and post a different one. We can type up the email and then we can go back and switch things around. We can cut and paste. We can restate. We can be anxious about all these things and tweak it up just so. And then finally send it off at some point we can correct any image down to the pixel. We can edit the videos um, that we're using for any purpose so we're, we're trained to have all of this control. But what happens in these simple personal video messages is that you actually have to let go and be yourself in a digital format for 30 seconds or three minutes or 12 minutes at a time. And that is difficult for a lot of people, primarily because unlike a Zoom call where it comes and goes, and you might kind of beat yourself up in your own head, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that thing, or you know, I could have answered that question better or whatever. But you can't redo it. There's no redo's. In a video message, there is. So with BombBomb and all the other systems that allow you to do this, you record it and you can actually play it back. And you are your own harshest critic. You are going to judge every second of that video. You're going to hear every um, and it's going to sound 50 times louder to you than it is to anybody else. You're going to fuss over your hair or your collar, or did I say it right? Or this is goofy. No one else is going to make that judgment. If you make the video about the other person and their problem or their question or their opportunity or whatever, um, if you make it about the other person and stop making it about you in your own head, you'll start to let go. The only way through this vulnerability is practice. You actually have to do it to work through it. Vulnerability is just discomfort in the face of risk, or uncertainty, or emotional exposure. Uh, When we think about it everything good in our life that happened is characterized by risk and uncertainty and emotional exposure. Nothing amazing ever happened to you that didn't have some or all of those elements to it, period.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we can go through examples if we want. And so do not, I, I will say the vast majority of people are uncomfortable in the beginning, but the people that I've seen that have done all kinds of videos in a variety of formats, including video and email and video and messages, but who are also doing video a variety of other ways, you know, when they're on stages or on webinars or in presentations talking about their video journey, because it's so remarkable that people want them to teach it to other people. um, They will often bring out their first video and it sucks, you know, it's bad. They're awkward. They're sweaty. The lighting sucks. Like, and, and that's just part of it. Right. And so the idea, last thing, the idea that you would try something new, because this is a new and different skill, Right. If you've done Toastmasters, then you might have a head start. If you've delivered a webinar, you might have a head start. If you've been live on videos or you've you know uh, hosted a significant number, you might have a head start in some way or another. But this is a new skill for everybody, and the idea that you would take on a new skill and be amazing at it the first time you try it is just ludicrous. You you wouldn't do that with anything. Getting putting on ice skates for the first time, or putting on downhill skis for the first time, or a snowboard, or trying to speak Mandarin or German for the first time um, or playing a musical instrument for the first time. You wouldn't expect to be good at any of these things, but somehow you think, well, I've turned my camera on before. Um, I've spoken to other human beings before. I'm going to be amazing at this. Yeah. You have some skills that are transferable, but this in and of itself is a new uh, combination of skills and it is certainly one worth a practicing through the discomfort on and be getting very good at, um, on the other side of that discomfort and vulnerability, um, and awkwardness and fear of judgment and rejection, by the way, that's what all this is about. Humans just fear judgment and rejection. Um, so one of the reasons we over-criticize ourselves in a way that no one else ever would, it's just unfair, but we do it to protect ourselves and pr- protect our egos and to assure that we don't get judged in such a way that we get rejected. Um, this is all evolutionary psychology. And so, um, on the other side of that discomfort on the other side of the first, it could take you three videos. It could take you 10 videos. There's still videos that I send that I might get a little bit anxious about like, uh, you know, cause it's a big deal or the consequences are significant or whatever. Um, it's insanely liberating and insanely powerful, this comfort and confidence in your own skin and getting more yeses based on who you are. Um, Not just like the, the, again, the intellectual exercise and pecking it out and getting into features and benefits and costs for people and having people try to make judgments based on that without you having delivered any degree of warmth or personality along with it. Um, Except maybe an emoticon, if you're trying to like Fun it up a little bit. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's just super powerful and liberating, and the transformation I've seen in people over the past decade that I've been doing this work is just it's just a joy. It's what keeps me engaged. A decade in.
0: So you you raise the um, point that live video, whether it's in Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, um, people are first of all a lot more forgiving if it's not polished because you don't have time to polish it. But furthermore you don't have to spend the time to polish it. So you right. can you can come up with a lot more material that way too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, in fact, um, in the new book, we uh, interviewed 11 different experts on a variety of topics, all to kind of work our way around this. Like how do we actually connect and communicate digitally, virtually, and online, knowing that all of us are going to have to sell and serve a lot more often in the future, in these spaces, in the face of ever increasing digital noise and pollution. And one of them was Adam Contos, the CEO of Remax. And we got into his podcasting and his video journey. And that's exactly what he said. He's like, hey, I just do all these things live. That way I don't need to, <laughs> you know, I had to learn a bunch of stuff to get there. I had to get comfortable doing it. I have to develop the material and the topics, but um, I don't want to have to edit this stuff. So he just goes live for it. And it's the yeah. same thing with these video messages, like bang, 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 bang. Like, um The most videos I've sent in one afternoon is just shy of 200. And I had other things I had to do that afternoon. Um, And the thing is, you just get, you know, you're excited about what you're doing. You believe in it. You want to share it with other people, or you want to open up an opportunity for someone, or you want to solve their problem or answer their question. um, And it's just record three, two, one, go, stop, send. And then in the replies and responses, you get validate that it's absolutely a different and better way to share some messages. Not all messages are appropriate for a video message, by
0: the way. Well, and that was something I was going to to ask: is when do you choose to go for text instead?
1: Um, I'll flip it on you for the sake of uh, of viewers and listeners. Like the three times that video is absolutely better than typed out text, and there I know there's a chapter in Rehumanize called. 10 times video beats text, this kind of like layers up over top of that. Um, one is establishing or reestablishing personal connection. And you and I already told that story off the top of this conversation, which is we felt like we knew each other before we ever met, right? right. So establishing or reestablishing establishing personal connection. So if you haven't seen someone in a while, or you just met them at like, you know, some people are going to conferences and events and trade shows again. Um, so following up with, you know, you collect some business cards, you make some new LinkedIn connections. When you get home, you send a few personal video messages and just kind of like reestablish that like, oh yeah, I remember him. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that. Right. So establishing a reestablishing personal connection, much better done in video. The second one is managing emotion or tone. And this is also in Rehumanize. Um, positive is, of course, thank you. Good job. Congratulations. I've been thinking about you. I was excited to see dot, 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 right? You saw something on social media and you, just want, like, you liked it, you commented, but you also want to follow on and say like, man, I'm just so excited about you. I know you've been working on it. doing things that you couldn't do and typing out a little comment on the post, right? So that's positive. And those, those, positive messages. If you're sincere in your message, there's nothing better that you could do than send a video to communicate that. On the other side though, and not all of these are negative, you know, I'm I'm using the word uh, positive or negative, but breaking bad news, making an apology. um, I'm sorry to hear providing perhaps some corrective feedback, right? Like if you have to, I mean, for This is fantastic for internal use. It's not just for customers. So if we need to provide some corrective feedback to our team members, um, and I think you read the story of uh, I think a, a college professor in there who provides video feedback, oh, and not yeah. just the red lines on the paper, because you can you can describe it in a different way in a video, in a way that makes people feel seen and appreciated, not just judged and criticized. Um, so managing emotion and tone, positive and negative. And then the third one is detail or complexity, anything that's difficult to describe. It's going to take you three to five paragraphs, um, and it's gonna be time consuming for you. You're going to be so much better off just hitting record and talking to people, describing things in layperson's terms, or perhaps even using a screen recording to kind of show and tell, to walk people through things. So personal connection, emotion and tone, detail or complexity definitely done better in video. There are other use cases, but as people are thinking about the messages that they're sending throughout their day, or they're trying to structure customer communication or new employee communication, or these types of things, anytime you're trying to take on um, a communication task, either a micro one, like I need to reply to this person, how am I going to do it? Or whether it's a macro one, like I need to design a system or a process. um, Those three filters are definite video
0: go-tos um thanks to covid um many jobs have been done from home you and i are both i believe this is your home
1: it is not my home this room is much bigger than every room in my home except <laughs> okay. uh perhaps my living room and my kitchen
0: okay okay well it's a lovely space uh thank I'm you it's five minutes from my home it's fine. But- I,
1: I come here because it's quiet and it's uh it got amazing internet connection
0: okay Um, But many of us are working from home these days, and we're relying on Zoom a lot, not just for one-on-one meetings like this, but for um, group meetings. And I don't know if this is one of your definitions of digital pollution, but people are really talking about Zoom fatigue. You know, they're being invited to meetings. They have to sit there pretty much motionless. Um, Maybe they don't even get called on. Uh, They have to worry about looking riveted the whole time. Um, do you have any advice for people who are planning such meetings and making it so that it's more engaging for people?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. That is a fantastic observation. First and foremost, I would say, does this need to be a Zoom meeting? Um, and or does this need to be a meeting at all? Right. Um, so I'll address that for a minute and then we'll go back into the, into the core question. Could this be a, a walk and talk by telephone?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's like that. There's, you know, walking is fantastic. So many leaders and uh, people have done amazing things that we all benefit from today, did a lot of walking and there's something about that process. And so this idea of like freeing your, your mind by getting away from the flat screen um, and being somewhere else. And then the physical activity, the blood flow, the brain activity. Um, I find walking meetings, whether it's with someone in person or by phone, Is a really nice substitute in a lot of cases now that doesn't work for you know if you need to get five or six people together (laughs) i don't know that that's the best call no um but certainly for one-on-ones or or intimate meetings another idea too and this goes to video messaging is that one of the best roles for video messages is what i call the in-between It's too much for a plain old email, but it's not quite enough for a meeting. We've all been in that meeting that everyone's like, yeah, that could have just been an email. And we've all gotten that email that was like uh, in an email exchange back and forth. We're like, we could have solved this with like a 90 second phone call or a Zoom call, right? Right. So it's really making sure we're finding the right tool for the right job um, is a key thing. As for Zoom meetings themselves, you are right. Even if you are engaged, you might look disengaged, and that is bad for everybody else on the call. Um, it also creates, especially for the host or whoever's, uh, you know, got the greatest emotional um, and cognitive stake in the meeting itself. That's a negative perception for you. So, something that we talk about in human centered communication: two different people. Um, and I, I go into the background of who they are. Um, they're both awesome women. Um, both advised turning it up a little bit. Um, in a way that's still authentic to you, but turn it up a little bit because our our default face, um, <laughs> Julie Hansen calls it RBF, resting business face. Yes, um, well done. This yep. is just is this kind of like flat face where like we could be actually listening intently, but we look like we could not care less. Um, and so this idea of just like expressing a little bit a, it keeps you plugged in. B, um, it makes clear to other people. And so simple things like you're doing, head nods, like I know that I know that what I'm saying is interesting to you because you're smiling and nodding your head. So consciously doing those things until they become a bit more habitual. Um Now I'm speaking now to the participant, not the person hosting the meeting. I'll flip in just a minute. Um, (laughs) Something else that's kind of like keeps me engaged and makes meetings more fun. I'll either a take notes and I'll let people know that I'm taking notes, and then I'll typically share them with other people. Just that activity alone keeps me engaged in what's happening, um, and it's productive for other people. My gosh, thank you so much for the notes. It's amazing. Like it's a nice value add for other people. the discipline of stopping multitasking, and I still struggle with this one myself, it's so freaking easy, yep. especially if it's a meeting where it's not, where they're like six or more people where your odds of getting called on are like 20% or lower mm-hmm. to have other stuff open. It's such a disservice to yourself and the other people. If you don't need to be in the meeting, have the courage to withdraw from the meeting. If you're not sure if you should be in the meeting, but you get invited, you know, It's not, and I don't care who invited you to the meeting unless it's, I guess we could find exceptions. I won't make up any right now, but it is certainly within your right, and it's not unreasonable, and it's probably an exercise that more people inviting people to meetings should be doing, replying back and saying, hey, Got that invite? I'd be happy to attend. It is open on my calendar. I just want to make sure um, that uh, I'm going to be useful to the other people in the meeting, or you know, what can I expect to get out of this meeting? That's not. I mean, you're going to do it in a way that's not disrespectful, but making sure, sure that you're in meetings that you belong in is is another one. As for hosting a meeting or being having some level of responsibility for it being engaging and productive, one use the chat. Use the chat. Use the, um, you know, zoom gives you the, like the thumbs up and a bunch of other things. Um, if someone else is talking, I acknowledge them not just by smiling and nodding, um, but also by like throwing up thematic, um, you know, little icons in the corner, um, that keeps me and other people engaged, validates the person who's speaking that lets them know that they're on the right, right track, um, I will add things into the chat either as additional questions without distracting from the core conversation or links to things that other people are talking about. So like, if I catch myself multitasking, I'll turn it into something productive and I'll be like, Oh, that person just mentioned this book. And so I'll like go look it up and drop a link in other people can check it out too, that kind of thing. And so, um, and don't be afraid to call on people. Um, If you have invited five people to the meeting, I'm going to assume that you have a reason that all five of those people should be there. And if you haven't heard from one, ask, you know, engage everybody in the meeting um, and validate their response in some particular way. Um, A good habit for that is to restate what you think you heard from someone and perhaps ask for clarification or for validation, thumbs up, like, yep, that's exactly what I was. That's exactly what I meant, you know, uh, for your benefit and the benefit of other people.
0: So what I run, um, a few scheduled meetings where, where it's like every week we're meeting at this time. Uh, two in particular are the, the people who work uh, that I work closest with, and um, I just want to explore a little bit more what you said about you know, if there's no reason to be there, I struggle with that because it is a, it is a scheduled meeting and I would like everybody be, to be there. And I've even sort of threatened to reduce the frequency. And the response has been, no, we'd like to keep doing this because we like to be plugged in. It may not be exactly what is going on in my life. Like, you know, and I do, I do actually think it's fine if they go screen off and do something while we're talking about something that doesn't affect them. Um, I guess I have the advantage that it's a very fun, charismatic team, right? So they all get along and it's not like they're desperate to not be there. I can count on them to stay engaged, but I I, I just wonder if, if how you calibrate around inviting people for, for basically a, a sense of cohesion and involvement, as opposed to every topic on the agenda is gonna necessarily require them.
1: That's a really, really good question. It makes me think of a, we have a standing two and a half hour leadership meeting every Tuesday morning. It's got a very specific structure. It tends to be highly productive. And we will bring people in for specific 15, perhaps even 30 minutes of time, not just to come in and give a presentation, but we're going to talk about a topic in particular. This person has a lot to add on it, or is the person on the front lines of that issue or that topic, and we'll bring them in for that period. So I like this idea that you have an agenda that's important, that lets other people know, like, where are we going here? Um, And this permission to come and go, as long as everyone understands what's going on, and it, and it doesn't come across to anyone else. Like this person is, you know, you know, of their own accord, just saying like, I don't need this, you know, Be- because that cohesion, it sounds like this isn't an issue for you. I'm not speaking to other people that are like thinking about their own meetings and their own teams. I think a key thing is making sure that everyone understands what the rules of engagement are. Um, and that if this is not, Hey, where we're going next this is especially relevant to you two. Um, It might not be relevant to to you three. Um, Everyone is welcome to be here. This is probably gonna take us about 15 minutes. So if you need to go take care of something else, do, but be sure to come back. Like as long as everyone understands the rules of engagement, um, then that makes sense. What what this also makes me wonder though, is um, should this be one big meeting or should it be uh, multiple smaller meetings? You know, obviously that's for each person and each team to decide. I do love one of my favorite things about the way you set that question up was um, that you sought feedback from the people who are in the meeting. Right. Do you want this? You know? (laughs) Oh, we want this. And I mean that, by the way, high point, and then I'll give it back to you. Um, That also reminds me of a class guy. I attribute it in my mind to Seth Godin, but I'm sure multiple people have said it in different ways, which is um, uh, if people miss it when it's gone, like that's good marketing. Mm-hmm. So if you've been sending sure. an email and you're like, ah, I'm just going to blow it off this month. And three people are like, whoa, what happened to that email? I love this email. Like that's really good. So this idea that you're doing meetings that people are like, no, don't don't stop this meeting. Like, that's good. It's a super but- positive sign. And asking for that feedback specifically, I think is critical.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Swimming with Sharks? I don't think that I have. There, there's a line, it's about a movie executive and there's a line in it. Somebody rushes up to the executive and says, they can't start the meeting without you. And he says, he turns to his other assistant and he says, you see a meeting that can't start without you. That's a meeting worth going to. So I thought that was a a memorable line for me. It is really funny. Um, So what are your, you you touched on some of the ingredients to a good space to record in, you know, it's quiet. uh, You're not going to be disturbed. Talk to me a little bit about how you recommend people set up their space for video recording.
1: Sure. I think um, one of the reasons I was really happy to move back into this office is that it's got a lot of depth. Um, Right. You know, it's like, it's really deep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't always have that privilege when I was working directly at home, which was in my bedroom, I didn't have that privilege, but I did set it up on, on a long side of a wall, Um, I think one of the things that several things here, you have to use the space that you have available. Um, but I think if you can go on an angle against a a wall or something long, if you can work a corner of the room in, it just has a little bit more depth and interest to it. Um, another thing, I, something I really like about what you're doing here. Um, I don't know who made that painting. My son Um, and I. Fantastic! Yeah. Um, a little personal touch. You've got some greenery. You've got kindly got uh, a book that I co-authored. Very you good book. Yes. Yeah. You. And, and a bookshelf in general. You've got a mug. I'm sure there's a story behind that mug. Um, you know, you've got enough. This blend of like, personal and professional. It's a tidy looking space. And so I think just being aware. And I I would fee- I would expect that at this point most people, unless they're moving into a new space, have seen themselves on camera enough that, um, uh, they've made just small tweaks along the way. It's not going to be perfect on day one. Um, but, but one of the things that I would encourage people to avoid if they can is being pressed right up against a flat wall, you right. know, um, just cause it gives some depth that gives some interest. Um, yeah, I, not bad. Not, yeah, it's not bad. Not, not bad, but imagine if those two pieces. If I was pressed
0: it, up right against it, that it would, or, I would look trapped. And
1: or if those two pieces of furniture weren't there, it's just you in a in a you know beige yeah. wall, which it's not bad. It's better than something that's like crazy, noisy, messy. Um, you know, so I generally prefer tidy. This is actually a space, and you can tell I've been struggling with the lighting as we go here because the sun just went behind the mountains. <laughs> I'm trying to work these two lights that are in front of me. Neither of them is pointed at me directly, but um, I just moved back into the space. I was in this room for, um, I'm in an office in downtown Colorado Springs. I was upstairs on the seventh floor for a few months, and I was in this office for a couple of years prior to having to go back up. Um, but I, had the opportunity to come back down. It's a better space, but I'm still trying to figure out like the lighting. And that's, that's another interesting thing. Windows are really great, but they're also very challenging because the light obviously changes throughout the day. And so having these adjustments on the fly, this is an especially dramatic time of the day, you know, pretty much between right now, this time is we're recording this here in the late, late fall, early winter. Um, you know, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., the light's pretty consistent. It comes in the back and then it just moves forward. It kind of like backlights me as I was beautifully lit at the beginning of this conversation. And then it disappears behind the mountain and you're like, you know, it gets low on the angle. So it's shooting right into the webcam. And, you know, so so natural light adds a lot um, to a space, but it also um, uh, can be challenging because of course
0: it moves. That's the cliche, right? We're burning daylight here. You've only got... You were, you were in golden hour when we started the call.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For like five minutes. Yeah. Totally. So I wanted
0: to touch on a couple of things you brought up there. I mean, one, a couple of observations I would add is the microphone is critical and it doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be close. Yep. Um, and then the other thing is uh, you and I share an affliction, which is wearing glasses. Yeah. So having, like I have, I have a, a light there, which I don't know if you can see a reflection of and then one yeah, little there bit. one there. Um, but you, but because I'm looking at the camera, right. You don't, you, I you can't don't do what everybody getting, else does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a couple of things is because cameras, so, love so pro light. tip
1: there, pro tip there. Uh, more light is always better than less. Yeah. Um, although my camera's struggling right now. Um, I have two lights. I have one, I have fluorescence overhead. And then I have these two lights on the sides here. And neither one of them is pointed at me directly for that exact reason. Cause you would see it plain as day, um, that it's reflecting in my glasses. And so I just bounce it off the wall in front of me. When I was in my bedroom at home, I put up like one of those poster boards in the corner and bounced a light, like it was pushed up in a corner. So it would bounce off and come like, like kind of in a big fill, but and, like in this yeah, diffused way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well done.
1: So, um, Light in front of you is fantastic uh, if you can do it, but there are challenges for those of us
0: with glasses. (laughs) Um, So talk to me about the Zygarnik. Am am I pronouncing that correctly? Zygarnik effect?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, Set it up for me a little bit more.
0: So it's from your book, and basically, it's the idea. If I interpret it correctly, you say I have three reasons why the Zarganic effect is important. Oh yes, and okay. people yeah, yeah, won't yeah. let you go until you get to point three. It's a way of engaging people and, and hooking them in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this
1: idea of um, we we just want to f- uh, finish the puzzle. We want to close the loop. We want to tie up the loose ends. Um, that one, by the way, I had to ask because um, a it's been a little while, and b that was that was from Steve. Um, My co-author, my longtime friend and team member, chief marketing officer here at BombBomb, huge into, um, well, essentially behavioral psychology. Um, And so – yeah. So, so we want to complete these things. And so this, idea and this works for things besides videos, by the way, anything you want to bring people through um, you know, a numbered sequence as you offered is a really good one. Kind of like starting an idea in a subject line and continuing it in the body of the email um, you know, promising something in a video thumbnail, right? Like I don't have my whiteboard with me, but oftentimes I'll use a whiteboard and I'll write, you know, someone's name, but also like a little promise on there. Like, um, you know, two surprising things that happened today, Tim, right? Yeah. Um, you know,
0: or 30 seconds well spent or something yeah, like that. Yeah.
1: Right, exactly. You know, it's like, okay, what is this person talking about? This is just this kind of intrigue, the curiosity layer, just the idea that I need to finish the task. I need to like, if there are three things, I at least want to know what they are. And of course, the fine line we have to walk here, because immediately someone watching or listening is probably thinking about things like um
0: listicles
1: exactly the word I was about to say. So good. Love it. I listicles and, um, and then also just like any clickbait type stuff where it's like, and you won't believe number six, you know, Um, and number seven came out of nowhere. Yeah. This
0: changes everything. yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because here's a big lesson. And this was a key theme in human centered communication with all of these digital messages and experiences that we're creating for people, we're obviously asking for someone's time and attention. These are the two most valuable things that people can give us. um, Assuming that you're the type of person that's listening to a show like this um, and investing in yourself and growing in your career. I'm going to assume that most of your basic needs are met um, and you get to worry about other things like how to grow revenue, right? And (laughs) how to, you know, how to increase my business and these other things. So um, which is a privileged situation. So we're asking people to pay with their most valuable things. And if, if they pay us their time or attention once and we fail them because it was an overpromise and an underdelivery. And this is true of our products and services as well. If I subscribe for the first month, I don't get what I was expecting, I don't get the, the benefit, the outcome, the result, the solution, the whatever. Um, I'm wary now. And I might pay you for another month, or I might open your next email, or I might play your next video in my social feed, you know. And and now we're getting into I forget the you know fool me once shame on me type scenario, but like sure. or shame on you, shame on me. Uh, but it's that right. So it doesn't take long to understand. And then I'll close this with a fun little personal story. It doesn't take long for people to understand.
0: That was a Zygarnik effect right there.
1: Yeah, it was. It was TS teasing. Let's like like shallow teasing. Um, I'm, the answer in 15 seconds after I yes. finish what I'm saying right now. Um, so uh, you know, that it doesn't take long for us to understand that this is not worth our time and attention. And so not only will they not like in there, and we're pattern-making machines. And so our, you know, we're calculating all of this subconsciously. And it's like, okay, I might not open that person's email. In fact, it might be an immediate swipe delete going forward because. You know, the, three time, the last three ones, they weren't about me. They weren't relevant. They weren't useful. It didn't satisfy the promise that they were making. This person or this brand or this email address or this logo is not worth my time or attention. That's the pattern that's being established. The extra trouble right now, two of them, one is that this is all happening in a noisy and polluted environment. So your likelihood of getting someone's attention in the first place is threatened and challenged. The idea of building trust is threatened and challenged because of the environment that you're creating these in. And then second, the machines are learning from the people. So the people are learning from what you're putting in front of them and behaving accordingly. And the machines are now following everything that the people are doing and not doing dwell time clicks, replies, all this is being tracked. And so um, I don't know if you remember when Gmail introduced the, the tabbed inbox and all the email marketers freaked out, like, how dare you put my, promotional email in the promotion tab. I only <laughs> yeah. sent it to 5,000 people with my own best interest in mind. How dare you sort this thing? That is just a lightweight version of the increasing curation that the machines are going to do for us because the noise is only going to increase. And so what patterns are we creating for the people we need and want to engage? And what are they teaching the machines? Because the machines will dictate our future opportunities to get back in front of them. Uh, and now, the quick fun story um, on how quickly humans learn it. so so my son is a huge roller coaster fanatic, knows all the manufacturers, knows all the rides, knows all the parks, knows all the styles and safety features, and blah 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 so he's watched and he's learned a ton of it by watching YouTube videos and, and a whole bunch of different styles and so you know, we started watching them together because it's just a fun kind of father, son thing. And I was really engaged and I take them to a bunch of roller coaster parks and so I know more. And so I'm more engaged and interested in the park visits and stuff. And I'm like super hyped, like, Oh God, definitely have to go to Charlotte to get to Carowinds, you know, because they've got, you know, fury 325. Um, So all these things. So, um, he immediately learned which thumbnails were garbage and which weren't. I was like, oh, that one looks good. He goes, like, no, 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 no. Dad, <laughs> look at what's going on in this thumbnail. Because I don't like, I'm not judging these thumbnails, I'm not judging the video title. Looking
0: at the title, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he,
1: you know, it took him 10 or 15 um, you know, samples where he clicked two or three bad ones and he knows that class of thumbnail and video title is never touch again. Right. Never touch it again. So they ad revenue is, is shrinking because oh,
0: suffering, yeah. you know,
1: you fool me once, but you're not going to fool me two or three or four times because I'm a smart human being. And, and I am a pattern making machine. And you have totally ex- like over-promised and under-delivered with this thumbnail and video
0: title. So um, I want to touch on your role at BombBomb. You, you, sure. you are described as a chief evangelist and, um, so let's talk a little bit about what BombBomb is. I mean, we've talked briefly about how you and I have exchanged messages using the service, um, but there are multiple uses for the videos we record in this fashion. Can you talk a little bit about what we can do with the videos we record?
1: Uh, sure. You're talking like technically or are you talking kind of yeah, like,
0: videos? well, for example, uh, can I use the video in a message in LinkedIn? Can I use the message? Oh, yeah, yeah in the there video? you go. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, So BombBomb is a video messaging platform. Uh, We have a web app that you can log into at bombbomb.com and you can bring in lists of people. You can construct emails like you can like MailChimp or Constant Contact, but video is integrated directly in. It's integrated into the video analytics as well as the email making process. Um, You can do quick one-to-one sends out of the uh, the web app. We have mobile apps for iPhone and Android. So you can send uh, videos by email there, or you can text them out to people. We have a Chrome extension where you can record videos from the top of Chrome. I do this all the time. Um, And you can record or screen record or even pull an existing video out of your library and put it anywhere that you want. So I put it in LinkedIn messages. I put it in Slack messages. Um, I put them. I don't use Facebook very much. And I try never to use Facebook Messenger anymore. But um, I will drop them in there. And the funny thing is now all these places have video features, But they're all compromised in some way. Um, And by that, I mean like LinkedIn. I work at my desk all day. I'm not a mobile operator. I'm not sending a bunch of, I'm not using my smartphone to do LinkedIn very often. Right. And so, but the only place you can record a video in LinkedIn Messenger is from the mobile app. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that sets it off. So I, I work from my laptop almost all day. So I I can record there and take it, but then I can also see when the video gets played, how long the person watched, how many times it got played, which is a suggestion that maybe they shared it with other people. These types of things, same thing with Slack. Um, I think tracking is the key thing. And this idea too, of having a video that you recorded once and they can use over and over again, just to stay in LinkedIn. I haven't done it recently, but I have from time to time, had a kind of a generic LinkedIn, hey, thanks for connecting video. I don't mention you by name. I just thank you for the connection. I introduce myself, a couple things that I like to post about, and things that I'm happy to answer questions on, um, and just make myself available to people. Um, and I'll just take that if I if I just don't have time to record a personal video, that's what I'll do. Um, But I try to make them personal as often as, as possible. So you can't do that with some of these other video features because where do they live? They don't live anywhere. Um, With BombBomb, they live in your video library and you can use them anywhere over and over again as much as you want. It could also be an answer to a frequently asked question. Um, We also have direct integrations with a number of systems and platforms, including Salesforce, Outreach, Sendesk, a bunch of real estate and CRM uh, platforms, because those are two businesses that we came up in um, and and we built a lot of relationships in uh, early on. With that Chrome extension, and and by the way, also in the web app, I know I'm kind of moving around a lot, but not only can you get that link, but you can also get the embed code. And so what a lot of people are doing is taking the link or the embed code and using it in a variety of other systems, too, um, that that will accept that embed code. So, Do
0: the videos ever expire?
1: um, They don't, but they live as long as you want until you choose to delete them. Okay,
0: great. So I'm sort of imagining it, um, as you point out, for tech support. You know, that's often asynchronous. Somebody says, hey, I can't get into this or it's not acting the way I expected. Screen share. You could even use it again.
1: Yeah. Super powerful. Um, And it's such a huge, there there are stats and you saw them because they're in Rehumanize Your Business. There's a number of amazing specific benefits that we have quantified in the customer service, customer support process using both personal videos and uh, we call these evergreen videos, record it once and use it over and over again as appropriate. You might also think about it in terms of onboarding or even pre, pre-sale. There right. are a number of steps that people might go through. And so you might set it up in your marketing automation system or some other system where it's like, as soon as these two things are true and this number falls between this range and this is false, automatically send this video message, right? And, yep. and, and you're speaking to them. It's like, hey, by now... This is this and this are probably true. You're probably in this right. You wouldn't say those things specifically, but you know, by selecting specific trigger criteria for that for you to be triggered to manually send it, or for the system to be triggered to send it automatically, um, you can speak very specifically to where someone is and the things that people that are in their situation often wonder about. So you just want to get ahead of it proactively, and so there are a number of benefits to uh, to that.
0: And and one of the one of the advantages of it um, is the ease because um, taking that professor example the the university professor normally one would have to conjure up a file you'd you'd record your screen capture and your red circles and your annotation while you're speaking and then you'd save it somewhere and then you'd have to put it get it into to the some student somewhere. To see. Yeah and so now it's just a matter of doing it right on the same page you can take that link and drop it in so yeah it's so I funny can see I mean, the advantages for,
1: yeah for years people have said like well I can just do this myself and I'm like yeah you can sure. you know through those steps and then putting it in YouTube so that it's hosted somewhere marked as unlisted because it's not for your channel and then you send the link and then people have to wonder what's behind that link um, fortunately YouTube is a decent uh, amazing
0: good rep yeah. uh,
1: name brand but um and then the follow up question is well, so how many videos did you send last week or last month? Sure, none.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I said I all, could, I didn't say I wanted to,
1: yeah. It's all yeah. well, or you know, I said I could, I just didn't say that I actually had the wherewithal to do all those steps, you know.
0: So, you and Steve Passanelli have authored two books. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second one is uh, called Human Centered Communication, and this is the first one. Um, What is your process for writing and was it easier the second time? Great question.
1: They were two dramatically different experiences. So uh, (laughs) I hit my six-year full-time anniversary at BombBomb several years ago now. I just welled up with like excitement and pride at like, when I joined the company, we were fewer than 10 people. We had a couple hundred customers, a bunch of them weren't even paying us anything. You know, it's just like, hey, would you use this and tell us how it's going? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, at six years, I forget where we were, but we were maybe at like 30 or 40,000 customers. And, you know, we had grown to, I don't know, probably 100 employees by that point. And I was just, and we would kind of really pioneered this movement. And Two things were happening at the time that I was really excited about. One, all of our kind of early competitors were either dead or, or functionally irrelevant. And we had picked up this new class of competitor. And now the two that I'm thinking of, one of them sitting on tens of millions of dollars of venture capital, and the other one sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital. And it's from the you know name brands in the venture capital space, the Bessemers and Sequoias and stuff. And which was just so validating for this vision that our co-founders had in 2006 when they legally founded the company. I joined the company full-time in 2011, such early days. Here we are a decade later and we're still trying to pioneer this movement. So flashback to my six-year anniversary, I was all excited about kind of what was going on and how far we had come and that we'd started this movement of kind of relationship orientation, restoring some of that in our digital communication, you know, in the face of there are even, I don't know if there are more or fewer fears now about automation and AI, but certainly, you know, in, you know, uh, um, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15, it was, there was, there's still a lot more kind of like panic of like what's going on, where's this going? I think now the general accepted sentiment is for that, for the most part, these machines and intelligent bots are being, Deployed to support us, not to replace us. Right. I think that's it's usually a duplicitous argument. Maybe the goal is actually to ultimately replace us, but first they got to <laughs> some of us. us. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. any case, I started. I, so I wrote a blog post called "You Are a Pioneer," and um, it was just about this movement. And I ended up just for fun and interest. I ended up just starting to sketch what it would look like as a book and started writing it, I was probably 10 to 15,000 words into it before anyone besides my wife or son had any idea that I was working on it. And then, you know, as I started talking about it a little bit internally with people that I worked with and talked with a couple of friends in publishing and they're like, is this your book? Is this a bomb bomb book? Like, what is this? I was like, I don't know. How should I be thinking about this? And I just ended up on this path of um, creating a lot of excitement internally about it. I got Steve to come on as co-author um, you know, I'm in the weeds, like doing all the writing. He in your Zygarnik effect question is a great example of it. He, you know, he's right behind me. As soon as I get a chunk done, you know, he's right behind me on like, hey, did this is a great stat. Check out this article. Have you seen this research? Oh, I got it, I got a story for that, you know, to bring that section to life. And so it's this really, really nice give and take relationship on it. And I pretty nut pretty much had the vision for the whole thing from the get-go. When we ended up getting the publishing deal with Wiley, our editor had some like, you know, we're so close to this. You know, at at that point, I had been in it for six or seven years and I'd been doing project work with the two co-founders for a couple of years before I joined him full-time as a team member. And so, you know, we're really close to this stuff. And so we created some distance, like you got to explain X, Y, and Z. like, ah, seems kind of boring to me, but okay. You know, if it helps complete this. So, um, so that was that process and it went pretty quickly. And, um, and I had it all in me and Steve had it all in him for the most part, because I had written hundreds of blog posts and done dozens of webinars and stage presentations on these. And Steve of course had too. And so um, we were just taking all of our best stories and examples and just putting them in this structured, sensible format that I hope you found digestible. Um, Human-centered communication, on the other hand, Steve and I would playfully say to one another, like, hey, I got an idea for another book. And it's like, out of the gate, it was like, no, man, too soon. You know? yeah. But at a certain point, you know, that we started, started to get serious. But in, and he said it to me, and I knew that he really meant it. And it was this idea of um, several ideas layered into one. Um, one, it's not about the t- We know that it's not about the tools. We know that it's not about video. Video is not about the technology. Video is about the people. It's it's your intent when you hit record. It's about the person on the other side. It's about how you make them feel. It's about what's in it for them. Um, and, and we were seeing a variety of things that I won't bore you with. We we're seeing a variety of things that are like, as obvious and intuitive as that may seem, it's very clear that that's not what's happening on a day-to-day basis in most businesses and organizations. So His idea was, I know how to sell this to Ethan, and we'll get other people to write the majority of it. So the original idea was all these experts that we feature in human centered communication would submit chapters, and we'd just Tim Ferris approach. Yeah, yeah, and you know we talked with a handful of people. You know we did pre meetings and. It became very obviously immediately that no one was going to write anything like Matthew, Matthew Sweezy from Salesforce, who wrote an excellent book called The Context Marketing Revolution. Love you guys. Believe in the message. Definitely want to participate. Not going to write anything. Shep Hyken, Wall Street <laughs> Journal, New York Times, USA Today, best-selling author of like eight or nine books. Love you guys. Believe in the project. Definitely want to participate. Not going to write a chapter for you. So it turned into like we're going to do our research, structure an interview, um, execute it, do some follow up, and then you know write individual chapters to teach each person's philosophy and practice. And so you know, chapters three through thirteen, each one features a different person and has a different personality to it, and a different story arc to it. But each one of them is loaded with practical things that you can do. Some of the, you know, how to be, there are several tips. I'm thinking of Lauren Bailey, the president and founder of Factor 8 and Girls Club. I'm thinking of Shep Hyken. I'm thinking of Dan Tire, uh, who's the sixth employee and the first salesperson at HubSpot. Those chapters, those three are among probably five or six that have very specific tips on your question earlier about how do we make these Zoom calls engaging for people, knowing that people are coming with a chip on their shoulder and uh, short attention and short tolerance for this stuff. And so yeah. um, lots of practical stuff in there. So the, the approaches were much different. I, when I started writing human centered communication, because um, the core chapters like one and two are human centered, digital pollution, and then human centered communication. Then we go three through 13 featuring people 14 and 15 are strategic and then tactical um, roundups where we make the different people in different chapters, talk to each other. And of course, 16, as, as you might expect, is a look to the future. Right. Um, and, um, I started chapters three through thirteen with heavyweight outlines because we had the transcriptions from the interviews. We had done our research in advance. And so the outlines for those chapters were, you know, four to five thousand words each. And so it's just a matter of like ripping a lot of that stuff out, paring down the quotes, deciding which stories to keep and which stories to ditch. And, you know, is is more of a process of removing than building.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Um, when you yeah, when you're when you're not adding, you're removing that that can be heart-wrenching. Um what made you decide to go through a traditional publisher as opposed to self-publish? Great question. So, um,
1: with Wiley, so as I was trying to figure out, really good questions. I got a lot to share here, but I'll keep it tight. Um, <laughs> that's, that's that's why I'm pa- delaying here. Um, so, one of the things I did when we were when Rehumanize was in process was I reread books written by people I knew and then asked them if they would talk about their process. And some of them were self-published, some were formal published. One guy, uh, Chris Smith, uh, one of the co-founders of a company called Curator, had uh, he had done three books, um, one totally self, one kind of hybrid self, and one traditional publisher. And, and after doing that, we narrowed it down to, we either want to go with Wiley or Greenleaf. Greenleaf is kind of an a la carte, white glove self-publisher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Wiley, we opted to go with A, zero upfront costs, B, some credibility. If you look at, I'm I'm looking around, like I have a bookshelf here. I just literally just moved back into this room today. So I don't have (laughs) any books here. Um, Actually, I do. I have three and one of them is from Wiley. Um, When when, when Steve and I looked at our bookshelves, um, there's a lot of Wiley there, nonfiction, business book publishing. They're prolific. And I wanted to be able to say something like, From the publishing team that brought you category-defining books like Inbound Marketing from HubSpot, Behind the Cloud from Salesforce, Customer Success from Gainsight, comes a new category-defining book on video messaging from the folks at BombBomb. So that's what we wound up doing. Um, We felt like it added credibility. Um, We didn't know what we were doing at all. There's a lot to learn about this space. and There are a lot of bad decisions you can make and a lot of pitfalls uh, a lot of potential for it. Um, so we went with Wiley and that was a really good experience. And then for the second one, we ended up going to Greenleaf. Um, Mm. you know, we talked to Wiley about it, but we ended up going with Greenleaf and Steve's main idea there was like, well, it's going to be fine either way, but we'll learn a whole bunch of other things if we go a different, just go a different route. And one of our goals there was to, um, they also manage the Fast Company imprint, which you have to kind of submit an additional prospectus on and and they have to evaluate whether or not this fits their kind of like brand. And so it released on Fast Company Press, which was our goal in the the first place, because we do think that there's a lot of um, business innovation is like a a foundational piece. And the same
0: audience too, for sure.
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, for example, um, in early 2022, at some airports, there's going to be a, a code display of the current issue of Inc., the current issue of Fast Company, and books from those imprints. And so we'll be, yeah. you'll see human centered communication at, um, I don't know, it's like 80 airports or something because the brand, like the, the brand affinity there and what we're speaking to in the spirit of it and the message of it, um, they found su- is sufficiently brand aligned. And so in this one, the royalty rates better. We got a little bit more control. W- Wiley gave us a ton of control. Our team designed the cover and the interior layout. They executed it. Um, in this one, we got to make even further decisions like, the gloss and emboss on the cover uh, and on the back cover. You know, our our art team got to do that. Um, just uh, multiple paths. Um, yeah. We had to, we had to front the cost, though. You know, we had to front the cost on this. Sure, we actually had to print the books, we have to. They help us. But we have to manage the inventory. And you know, if you're looking to do a book self published, and you're going to do it cheaper than we did. You better be prepared to make a lot more decisions. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. And by the way, for anyone watching or listening at this point in the conversation, because this is not early, you've made a commitment to spend time with me, uh, and Tim, <laughs> um, feel free to reach out to me. It's just Ethan, E-T-H-A-N at bombbomb.com. I've published a few things on the process, a couple podcast episodes on my own show, um, a, a personal blog post that I wrote. Um, and I know that it is a complex and I'm not a master of this. By any means, I've only done it twice, but um you know we've had a couple of successful launches, and um you know, we hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, which was really exciting this time um is one of our goals for the launch and there are a key number of factors that allowed us to achieve that um one of them being we roped a bunch of other experts in that had a stake in making sure people That's knew right. about it but um uh, and by the way, video messages, personal one-to-one video messages played a very important role in a successful launch of the book too. So in any case, I'm, I'm happy to share what I've learned, um, even though I'm no expert in this at all, but there's like, there are so many difficult decisions, blind spots, pitfalls, etc. At a certain point, you are the product. There are entire, there's an entire like business built on capitalizing on your interest in having a book released. Um, and not all of it is in your favor and it's hard to know.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that's a ton of really good advice. And I appreciate you, uh, sharing the other sources of, of, uh, connecting with you as well. So my last question, um, and you, you actually sort of brought it up a little bit when you said that, uh, you have a chapter about the future in your second book. Um, Thanks to Facebook's recent announcement, there's been a lot of interest uh, The the announcing they're going to go into meta, right? That they're becoming meta uh, has brought a lot of interest to AR and VR, which many people might say is an effort to be even more present in the way we communicate with one another. Do you see that having any impact to to the kind of work that BombBomb does?
1: Um, I can. Uh, First, let's accept that the vision uh, is still far off. Um, we've seen how slow I'll just say in my seat here at BombBomb over the past decade, I've seen how slow this goes. I think the one advantage, just doubling back into the conversation of this, this being who you are as you are and letting go and just being yourself some like the, the avatar type scenario takes care of some of that. I've seen a True. couple of the, um, the videos that Facebook has released around. It's this idea that you get to like make yourself up over again. Like it reminds me of actually of Dwight Schrute in Second Life on The Office, which is just an amazing episode. He's actually a paper salesman. He's actually the exact same person, but I think he could fly. Hilarious. He's dressed the same. But like you can, you can reinvent yourself in in, in in a way kind of like, I, I think it'll be interesting. It's one of the reasons too, that we wanted to make sure that people that were engaging with us and thinking about um video messaging and video email today are thinking about it in a bigger better way than a lot of the way that it's being bought and sold right now, which is this very like kind of myopic view of like, this is at some point it's become synonymous with video prospecting. And it's like, that's, that's one use case. It's okay. That's just so small relative to the opportunity in front of us. And so I don't know how it will change our technology over time. I do think that there's a, real, a very real honesty and vulnerability in this style of communication. I would personally rather get on a zoom call with six people than to get into, than to put a headset on and fake myself up and pretend like I'm in a room with a bunch of other people. Like there's just, but I, you know, I I don't think anyone would accuse me of being a Luddite. I am definitely risk averse. I definitely like what I'm familiar with, but most humans do, but all that on the table, I still think there's something very honest about what you and I are doing right now on a Zoom call and what you and I did going back and forth with video messages that I don't think the metaverse solves Yeah. Um, or, or, or it's early imagination. Well,
0: I mean, it depends if you and I are both looking at the same engine block, but yeah. we're, we're 10 states apart you know and we're talking about how to fix it that might be a, a really interesting use case so i can see when 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 our focus is not actually on each other but on a yeah, shared space Great, I think that would be really interesting absolutely
1: um, Co- co-working and collaborating yeah really interesting that is that's that's a fantastic use case so that's it that goes back to the heart of all of this the right tool for the right job absolutely. you know let's not just get so and this is the problem you, you and we talk about it a lot in human centered communication and and frankly, this book was motivated by some of the problems we saw about the implementation of these ideas is that so many people are all about the tool, they're all about the technology, and they're losing sight of why any of it matters at all. What gives it meaning? What gives it purpose? What gives it value? What produces useful outcomes for people, whether that's money or a problem solved or an opportunity capitalized upon, or usually those two things are you know on different sides of some kind of a value exchange? we're losing sight of that or, or it's easy to lose sight of it because we're just so enamored of the things that we can set up and automate and trigger and blah, 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 or just the fact that it's new alone. And like that, because like I start to self-identify, I'm the guy that does all the new stuff, you know? And so like, I'm just always doing new stuff, but it's like, <laughs> it's more about experimenting with the stuff than it is about actually serving or helping other human beings. Yeah. And so as, you know, as long as we stay rooted in that, um, I think we'll be much better off in applying technologies old and new.
0: Well, Ethan, thank you so much for bringing so much value today to this call, this conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: I appreciate the thought and care you put into the conversation. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you getting into the book, and I appreciate the invitation.
0: My pleasure. My guest today was Ethan Butte. Links to Ethan's books and his LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes. My name is Tim Hampton, and you can reach me at tim at unusuallywellinformed.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you will subscribe and join me for the next show with another unusually well-informed leader in business and technology. Thank you for listening to the unusually well-informed podcast. The opinions expressed by the host and guests on the unusually well-informed podcast are their own and do not reflect that of their employer or any other affiliation.